Hey, Verbivores. Thanks for joining us for the first ever Verba Vital Source Coffee Chat podcast. Today, Jared and Ryan are taking you behind the scenes of their recent ICBA presentation on fall course materials trends. Grab a cup of coffee and join us. Hey, Jared. Hello, Ryan. This is our first behind the scenes deep cuts on a fall ICBA presentation. I know, kind of um, pleased we've never done this before. Yeah, well, you know, it is just you and me talking to each other, and I guess we'll have to see on the uh, <laughs> on the audience reaction to see if it remains that way after we release this. <laughs> People care about this presentation, and we care a lot and want to make sure that it's actually useful. So, yeah, hell yeah. What exactly happened with Amazon's market share this fall? Let's listen in and find out. Looking back at this, you know, other things that really stood out to us this go round were the the Amazon change here. Um, yeah, trying to figure out what happened there. I, you know, I think Steve from Oregon State asked the question: like, were fewer stores just showing Amazon this go round? And while I think that 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 is part of the explanation, I think something else had to be going on there just because of how extreme these declines were. You know, Amazon being down 6.1% on rental was basically them losing all of their rental share from previous years. So that's yeah, and this is anomalous. We've seen Amazon go up and down by like less than a percentage point. We've never seen a decline like this. When Amazon started, I think their affiliate programs for books were like, we're the first online retailer of books. You're a bookstore why don't you just put Amazon links on your website and we'll be your online agent for selling textbooks. And the enablement of bookstores, businesses in general to sell online has probably reduced the value of that affiliate program to Amazon. And additionally, they've become less willing to play with partners as I think many of their business practices have shown. And so as a result, they've made the business decision to reduce commission rates generally and they've made the technical decision to uh, limit the functionality of the affiliate API. So in compare, we can't show each individual offer and add that specific item to the cart. As a result of changes that Amazon made, we had to show a, uh, a range of prices that Amazon has on offer. Totally. I guess the other side of that is just kind of going back to what this business mix looks like. I mean, so much of what was previously kind of standard students going to go shop from multiple providers has just moved into inclusive access. And this was the first fall where we had the volume of inclusive access running through our platforms exceed the volume of business going through Verba Compare. The pandemic certainly had something to, to do with getting us there faster. Was there anything, you know, anything that really stood out to you in the IA data? What you can see here is a cannibalization of compare purchases that the inclusive access programs are almost inversely correlated 2017 to 2019 as they're capturing uh, more business from the, the compare side of things, which is you know good for our stores. It's all it's all business that's flowing through the store. And in fact, it's actually better because not every checkout is from the store in Verbo Compare, whereas every inclusive access unit is from the store. This is the first year that we've seen inclusive access and compare checkouts both increase rather than being inversely correlated. They both have a positive slope here. Uh, and that has got to be the impact of the pandemic on remote learning, consumer behavior, and shopping online. As we see IA picking up, what was particularly interesting is 
to me, the, the content type mix has really started to change in perceptible ways year over year here. Courseware and bundles, um, which usually are kind of the genesis of an IA program because they're they're expensive and they service large introductory classes where it's really good to do an IA type of, of situation versus e-text, which I think we've always kind of thought are sort of the long tail of things that it would take a while for that to become hyper relevant. And if you look at spring 18 versus spring 19, for example, e-text actually declined in share from 28% down to 26.5% our IA units that we saw through, through Verba Connect. But starting in fall 19, that has picked up and e-text has become a larger and larger chunk of our total IA units. It's still only about a third versus two thirds being courseware and bundles. You know, this is two two things that you're pointing out here. One is, and like to simplify, like supply and demand. So like we have greater e-text availability. There are more units in the inclusive access program. There's more coverage over assigned materials across the board for e-text. And the second is that consumer behavior is also changing. So whereas we saw marginal slight increases in opt-out rates, those have been decreasing for the um e-text side of things. We've seen a 6% increase in the share of e-text year over year. But remember, that's in the context of dramatically increasing overall IA units. So we start to look at content type mix over time. And we look at 2019 versus 2020 really showed how much growth we've seen in e-text. And so it really feels like the combination of IA maturing and probably the pandemic you know, has, has, you know, really gotten us to the point, especially at some of our larger programs where a good chunk of e-text is working its way in. I think it really signals that IA has arrived when we're not just talking about courseware, we're talking about kind of that, that longer take with content. Equitable Access made its pilot debut this fall at UC Davis. Keep listening as Ryan shares his insights on how it went. Well, what's next? Why don't we provide all the course materials that a student has assigned to them for one flat rate. It's kind of a a Spotify streaming service for all your textbooks. And I think the overall textbook industry has all these weird dynamics in it. And this is, I fundamentally think, is the only way that you can do this type of streaming at a price that is acceptable to the publishers, so long as you're involving multiple publishers. Cengage can offer Cengage Unlimited at one one fee, but they can't offer Pearson's books in there as well. And in a way, this is good for the college stores because they're the only ones who can guarantee this and set up the pricing for the institution and you know bring us in to negotiate with the publishers. They're the only ones who can deliver this type of service. So I think unlike in other areas where I think people have been concerned that the medium shift would uh, disrupt the existing players in the market, that's true here, but it's going to benefit the college stores and it's going to benefit the institutions and those savings are going to be delivered back to the students. And I think unusually in business, the stores are more invested in the welfare of the students than a typical business would be in their consumers. I know everyone talks about loving their customers, but I think it's a different thing when you're a college store on your campus. The difference in the context between when when this program was conceived and the analysis based on which the price was set and everything 
versus what the actual situation in which it was launched, those are just two totally different contexts. And yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would have chosen a pandemic to launch this new service. Yeah, <laughs> uh, even though maybe it's it's needed more now than ever. Online learning, remote learning oriented, it's affordability oriented in times of a severe recession. But in terms of like the fact that this is in a way acting as insurance and trying to predict things, actuarial risk. It's harder in a pandemic. The uh, drop in title adoption and the drop in unit adoption is pretty significant. We saw a 30% decline in paid content titles adopted and 18% decline in the number of units that were assigned. Faculty in a remote learning environment appear to be just assigning fewer materials to their students. And I think that that is in some way being responsive to the economic conditions of the country. And it's being responsive to the difficulties of learning. You know, maybe they plan on covering more content in class as opposed to supplementing it with lectures. It's such a reminder that really the core of all of our businesses is the adoption, just that fundamental connection between what content is being used in which courses and how important that is for the store to continue owning that kind of Whoever owns that on campus is in that core position around course materials. It's really, it's, you can't disconnect those things. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why we, what we had been concerned about was that previously the store kind of owned the adoption, but there are probably plenty of instructors who were assigning materials and not bothering to tell the store. And what we had been concerned about was that in this program, two things would happen. One, we would suddenly find out about those materials that we hadn't heard about in the past. And indeed, a whole department on foreign literature at Davis came to them and was like, hey, we've been assigning books for 10 years, 15 years, but from these weird international publishers, and we figured you wouldn't be able to get them. So we've just been sending students directly to the web and shipping them from France. Now we had those materials and we worked with those publishers to get them available digitally if we could. The second thing we were worried about was that not only were there adoptions that we didn't know about, but suddenly faculty members were like, hey, I can assign the most expensive textbook I can find. And if a student is in the EA, they won't pay a single dollar more for it. And are we going to see that sudden migration to paid content? And that is not at all what we saw. Not only is it not at all what we saw, it is anomalous to what we've seen in the past. So that 18% decline in units compared to 2019, 2018, 27. We'd never seen that before looking at three years of data. And now we've done analysis on probably a dozen schools that are looking to launch equitable access in the future this coming fall. And when we look at their data, we don't see this drop-off occurring for any of them. There's not this sudden shift in material distribution away from it. Somebody asked toward the end of the webinar, are course materials buyers going to be replaced in this process? And you, I think, answered really spot on that it's kind of just a change in the type of work that's being done and moving to more of a consultative role. Maybe it's not so much about looking to all of your wholesale partners and buying books anymore. I think there's a much higher level of concern now with this type of program with what content is being adopted and making sure that it gets in in a timely manner. It kind of brings you back to that core. We are the expert in, in the course material proper, not just provisioning it. Yeah. And, you know, working to work on the medium of it, like, okay, this book's not available digitally. Let's work with the publisher to get it digitally. And Vital Source throws tons of resources at doing that for the store. But 
there, the store has to be involved in the process at some level, at least letting us know. Similarly, like telling a faculty member, hey, that book's not available digitally. Would you consider this other one? All these things, I think, are speak to a changing role for them. I also have always been like philosophically attracted to the idea that universities have acted like textbooks are some kind of hidden cost. You know, like when we started in this business, they didn't even have to disclose the ISBNs on the website for the store. You weren't guaranteed that you would know how much your books would cost before you enrolled in a course. And we've seen like over the last 10, 11 years, a real shift in direction to be like, okay, let's be upfront about this price. And I think the institutions were complicit in not providing that information because if you don't quantify it, then you don't have to cite it. And so you can act like, oh, well, there aren't any course material costs at all. And huge surprise when suddenly that goes drastically up when you don't have your eye on the ball. And I think with equitable access, we're going to see the institution being responsible for, you know, the students are going to still get paying for it, but they're going to be responsible for the overall cost of materials. And I think that no one is talking about any infringement on academic freedom, but at the very least, there's a bit more context you can provide to a faculty member or a department like, okay, yeah, this is what these questions are cost. We're happy to cover it. If you consider some alternatives, we can bring down this fee. And, I, you know, that is the goal at Davis. And I think it's our goal at other institutions that how can we get it to be the lowest price that we can for students to get everything that's required? If you don't measure it, then you can't measure your success on it. From the beginning of our time in this, you know, I think the observation was that this is a broken market because the people making the decisions around these course materials costs are not the ones who are purchasing them. And this kind of feels like the next step in providing the accountability that will fix that and thus it's kind of the next evolution in how the market's going to work. Now that we have equitable access programs in place and we can know which students have all their materials and which ones don't, we can do things like analysis on grades. We can do things like analysis on even participation in sections. There's a whole world of information here. We could let students know like, hey, everyone else in your class is ahead of you or behind you. Kind of a nudge theory of, of how can we make our user interfaces more responsive to, to learning. I, it just opens up a whole world. Building an e-text platform and a build distribution platform when you're serving 5% of the market or 10% of the market is fundamentally different than what is possible when you're serving 100% of the students on campus. This is not the, the last step. This is a very exciting step on inclusive access, but it's going to enable us to do even more with it. The perception is that this is incredibly revolutionary to just roll this fee into, into tuition, but to me, it feels like the proportionate response to what is really a crisis with students not having these course materials. Our eyes kind of glaze over sometimes seeing in a NAC survey that, you know, I don't know, 30 something percent of students aren't buying their materials. That's yeah. jaw dropping. That, yeah. That's I mean, unacceptable. <laughs> Davis did a survey before for fall 2019 and found that 76% of students did not have all their required materials. And at a maximum, for fall 2020, that is 44%. So that's, you know, cutting it in half. It's a huge impact. And these are materials that factums are saying are required for their courses. And the fact that, uh, you know, students take on an unbelievable amount of debt these days, uh, tuition is, has never been higher. And on top of all that, the cost of textbooks, while kind of a drop in the bucket, is the camel that breaks it's, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> I shouldn't have mixed the metaphor with dropping the bucket anyway. Um, you know, but it's just like, okay, 
students not getting the textbooks after paying so much for their classes is is insane, you know, like, and it, we shouldn't blame them. They're probably acting rationally. There's a reason why they don't want to spend the money on it. They're expensive and maybe they can get by. They don't necessarily know the impact of, on their grade of not having their book or not. I think intuitively now it's going to be harder. These are going to be things that we're going to be able to quantify now. And we're going to be able to address in a kind of systemic, holistic way. Yeah, I am surprised that the point of everything that we do here is to improve education. And that's what our community is aiming for also. I think that's a nice note to end on. All right, goodbye, <laughs> everyone. Thanks for joining us. That was fun. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next Verbo Vital Source Coffee Chat podcast coming your way soon.